Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. If you have a Bible, we're in 2 Thessalonians. Eminently is our series title in 2 Thessalonians. Eminent for 1 Thessalonians. He's writing about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so much happening in the world, my goodness. So much happening in the world. I'll be sharing a lot about that in uh, in the weeks to come, especially uh, next weekend as we jump into chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. But... Uh, this morning, as we celebrate communion, as we start a brand new month together, we're going to wrap up these uh, last few remaining verses in chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians. There's our ushers. If you need something to jot some notes down with, they'd be happy to assist you with that. Um, going to have a great time of fellowship in the courtyard following the service. Got a goodie for you out there today if you uh, want to stick around and make some friends and just uh, enjoy this absolutely beautiful day. To enjoy that extra hour? Isn't that always the best? <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, this is uh, just kind of an amazing uh, portion of Scripture here that we're in the midst of. So I'm just going to drop right into where we left off, and then I'll do my best to kind of maybe back up, uh, because it's, it's, even though we got an extra hour of sleep, it's a, a bit of a punch uh, wake-up punch uh, right at you, right out of the gate. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 in Second in Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1. You got it? Everyone got it? Say, got it? Okay, here we go. These, everyone say these. Okay, this is, this is huge, hugely important, and rarely taught on. So I'm glad you're here this morning. Really blessed to have this as an opportunity and a privilege to lay this before you. And, and I'll give you some thoughts on it. I, I think they're going to be simple but profound. And we got to see the difference here because there's sort of uh, a bit of a scary thought and rumor that's floating around that it all just sort of ends out the same for everybody. And Paul wants to address that in these verses this morning. So let's study God's Word together. Here, look what he says. These shall be punished. So that right out of the gate tells you that it doesn't end the same for everyone. There are some, in fact, these, whom he refers to, shall be punished. And not just sort of like a, a spank or a timeout or go to your room. No, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. So the punishment is separation. The punishment is everlasting separation, which is deemed and defined as destruction. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So suffice it to say, one verse in, that's not where you want to be. That's not the verse you want to camp out in. 
And when, when is that going to happen, you say? Look at verse 10. When He comes. That's why we've called the series Eminent. His return is imminent, around the corner. And as He wrapped up 1 Thessalonians and the Lord hadn't come back, He's like, I'm going to write them again. 2 Thessalonians. And what was eminent is now more eminent. Eminently-er. Because He's coming. How many know that? Amen? He's coming, and there's going to be this line in the sand, you guys. And, and, and there's going to be these as a result of their choice and refusal who will be punished with separation forever and everlasting from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints. This is who you want to be. This is how you want to live. Here's who you want to be known for. So glad you're here. Listen, when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe. That's a thought, man. That's just a great thought for us. Going into a new month. Listen, going into a new week. Kind of going into this new season of life together that He's not just believed in but he is believed in to such an extent that he's admired. You admiring him this morning? I mean, just admiring the Lord. Just in awe of his wonder, of his glory, of his love, of his mercy. His mercy that is new every morning. Hallelujah. He is one now who is glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Let me tell you something about admiring. You can't keep that secret. People know what it is you admire. And our admiration of the Lord should be that which we are known most for. Admired among all those who believe. Because, look at the end of verse 10, because our testimony among you was believed. There's the difference between verse 9 and verse 10. In verse 9, they failed to believe it. In verse 9, they refused it. In verse 9, they chose to admire other things. In verse 10, their testimony became about all that the Lord in His grace had come to accomplish on their behalf. That's what communion's about this morning. That's what this family meal set before you today is meant to celebrate. That our testimony is loud and clear. Our admiration for the Lord is not hidden under a bushel. It shines forth gloriously for the Lord and is getting brighter as the days get darker. Amen to that. Amen. And, 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 and here he says something else I want you to see. Therefore, verse 11, here he gets very practical now. Here's the practical part of our study. Therefore, we also pray, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. So, what's he doing? He's showing us the two extremes of life. The two extremes of life are the unbelievers in verse 9. These who have chosen not to accept and not to receive and not to believe are going to be camped out forever in complete separation and darkness from the presence of the Lord. And the other extreme is verse 10. Those that have admired His grace. Those that have received and accepted His love. And now verse, verse 11 is sort of those who are caught in the middle. Verse 11 are those who are still undecided. 
As if that's even a category. Because to not decide is to decide. Right? And so what he's giving to us here are the consequences of those decisions. And in verse 11 says, therefore, and ultimately, let me, let me just sort of like give you the PB paraphrase. The PB paraphrase would be, I'm trying my best, Paul. Here's Paul. I'm trying my best to get those of you that are still camped out in verse 9 to jump ship and get over here in verse 10. That's what he means in verse 11. Look what he says. Verse 11, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. You know people this morning that are in verse 10. You know people. The Lord's already begun in these first few minutes of Bible study this morning. Stirred your heart to be praying for those co-workers and friends and loved ones and family members who are still stubbornly camped out in, 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 in a place that ultimately, according to verse 9, is going to lead to everlasting destruction. You know, you know verse 9ers that you need in verse 10, that we need to pray together as Paul would there in verse 11, that God would count them to be worthy of this calling and also then to be glorified in Christ and, and Christ in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God. So here, here's, here, here's the deal. It's an enormous appraisal that's happening in these verses. Appraisal, that's an that's a appraisal. There's a word that gets thrown around North County a lot. I could speak about appraisal all morning and you would be right on track. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It would be the contrast of values to speak about something being appraised. Whether it's a car in the parking lot or a house that you've put up for sale, a business that you've built that now you're looking to sell and someone will come in and give you an appraisal. It's an enormous appraisal or contrast of values between, between what? Between the these, verse 9, and the we's, verse 10, and the woods, verse 11. An appraisal between the these, the we's, and the woods. And I think it would be very smart for us to know the difference. So who really are the these? Who are the these that ultimately are being judged in verse 9, being told their future based on their present state and circumstance, based on their current condition, based on their choice as it is up to this moment? Who are the these? Who are the these and who are the we's and who are the woods? We'd have to know that in order to give a good, honest, and accurate appraisal. So look back with me at verse, nine, uh, verse 8, right before verse 9. Verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. These are the these. The these of verse 9 are described in verse 8 as those in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the these are the those that are opposed. Do you follow? And Paul's just simply wanting to state the realistic fact that they're in big trouble. They're in hot water. 
They're going to wish for water. They are not obeying God. They don't, they don't know God. As opposed to who? As opposed to the we's. The we's clearly laid out for us here are those in Paul's camp, those on Paul's team, those like Timothy and Silas and the pastor of the church there in, 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 in Thessalonica, those who have accepted the Lord, those that have walked away from their past life and condition and, and reality to which they were living for when they were the center and meaning of it all. The we's are now the ones that have joined Christ's family. And the woods are the undecided. The woods is amazing. It's, it's a fascinating verse here. I just need you to sort of look at it with me again. It's verse 11. Look at, look at therefore we, there's, the, there's team we, we also pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling. Uh, maybe put another way, we're praying that you would open the door as the Lord continues to faithfully knock. Right? Isn't that in Revelation chapter 3? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the if anyone would open the door, there's the woods. The woods of should I or shouldn't I? And we know many this morning that are in, in those undecided crosshairs. But it's a fascinating thought. I just keep dwelling on it all, all week long. Therefore, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy, worthy, count you worthy of this calling. Now, what's fascinating about that is He has already counted you worthy. When He chose to come, He counted you worthy. Worthy of His sacrifice. Worthy of His death. Worthy of His love. Worthy of His grace. For God so loved the world that He would give His only begotten Son. That He would give His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him, whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's the invitation. There's the knock on the door. And you know what communion is? Every time we celebrate it, it's another knock. On the door of our heart, are we going to open it up and, 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 and receive this grace and this everlasting life and this forgiveness and this mercy? Doesn't it sound nuts to us that are on Team We? Team Barley? Those of us that are on Team We, doesn't it sound nuts to say no to that? Don't you kind of look back at your life and say, why did I wait so long to say yes to His grace? To say yes to this life in Christ. The promise of all that is here now to enjoy and that awaits in its fulfillment when the, when, when the Lord returns, when the Lord comes back. It's actually an interesting word. This word would, this word would be worthy is, is this word axios. Axios. Axios in Greek, it's just kind of become my new favorite word here all of a sudden. And it's used a number of times throughout Scripture. I want to show you two examples in Scripture where this word is used. And one in a good way, one in a, in a very celebratory way, sort of like in a we team way. And, and in another example of axios being used, axios means worthy. But what is it that makes you worthy is the question. 
Axios means worth or weight or corresponding to all things, ultimately give an appraisal of honesty and determine the value. Axios would be the value of what's determined, the worth of what's determined. And then to lead with that axios, to lead with that value, to lead with that weight, to lead your life, to be impelled, to, to, to be compelled to conduct your life with the worth and the value that has now been appraised. But where does that worth come from? What is that worth all about? This worth, this, this amazing idea. Therefore, we also pray that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of all of his goodness and all of his work of faith with power in you. So the two examples, first of all, there's one in Luke and there's one in Matthew. Turn to Luke with me. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Here's, here's an amazing example of axios, uh, practically uh, being lived out on the scene. And I, I think you'll find it amazing. I, I, I hope that you will because Jesus certainly does. And the things that he finds amazing, in fact, the things that he marvels at, are things that we should find amazing. The things that he finds amazing, we should find amazing. The things that he marvels at are things we should marvel at being on his team. And here in, in Luke chapter 7, look at Luke 7, 7. Or right around there. I'm going to kind of drop in. I'll throw one of the verses up for you on the screen that I think really makes the point. But ultimately, uh, it's the story of the centurion servant in Luke chapter 7. And in verse 1, just back up with me for a second into verse 1, he says, When he had concluded all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So the centurion has this servant that's been with him, this staff member, this employee that's been a part of his team. We're, we're doing a huge celebration this Wednesday as an entire staff for Stuardo Bonilla, who's been with me for 25 years as the head of our facilities. Oh, the head of all of our maintenance, cleans the toilets, mops the floors, vacuums the room, cleans up after all. Yeah, he's been with me serving the Lord here for 25 years. Well, just imagine in this setting, in this scenario, Stuardo gets sick, like really super sick. And that's what happens to this centurion servant that's been faithful to him all of these years. He's gotten sick and he's ready to die. And when he heard about Jesus, look at verse 3, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. There's love. And when they came to Jesus, begged him earnestly, saying that he was one of whom that he should do what that it was deserving. He's like, hey, if you're going to do it for anybody, you got to do it for this guy. This guy is so awesome. This guy's so faithful. This guy's, this guy's cool. This guy's great. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's bless him. For he loves our nation. Here's why. Verse 5. He loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. He's, he's, he's just been a, a worthy, huh? There's our word. Axios. He's been valuable to us. He's deserving. And Jesus went with them. He's like, I'm up for it. Let's do this. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Look at the contrast. I am, what? Say it. Not worthy. He's like, don't believe the press. I'm, I'm not worthy to trouble you. I'm not worthy to bother you. I'm not worthy for you to go out of your way. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word. Here's faith. Here's faith. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. 
So it's not, it's not like him tripping out and saying, I, I really don't like the guy that much to bother you. He does like the guy that much. He just doesn't feel worthy to bother the Lord. There must be more important things on your agenda. And if I was to give an honest appraisal of this, I don't think that I would stack up. And I'm not going to be drinking my own bathwater. I'm not going to be buying into, into my own stats and, and, and my own press. I'm not worthy. I love my brother. I love my servant. So if you would just say the word from wherever you are, we'll save you the trip. Say the word, save you the trip. My servant will be healed. For I am a man, verse 8, placed under authority. He's a centurion. Centurion soldier, Roman soldier, soldier of the highest Roman rank, having a hundred soldiers report to him. He's like, I understand authority. Soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to one, come, and he comes. I say to a servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. It was impressive. Now, there aren't many things in Scripture that you could point to. In fact, do a study if you want. This afternoon. Find the things that Jesus marvels about. It's only a few. And one of them now spoken of in Luke chapter 7 is the marveling that Jesus gives as he's impressed in the faith of a Roman soldier. <laughs> like hands down, above and beyond anything else that Jesus has witnessed or observed or experienced in Israel is the faith of a Roman soldier. He marvels at him. He marvels. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and he said to the crowd, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who'd been sick. Wow! Axios. Worthy, not worthy. What makes Jesus marvel? Here's what makes Jesus marvel. The, the centurion isn't marveling in his own medals, to which he had many, man. He's like wearing all the garb he is from Rome, but he's not marveling in himself. He knows he's not worthy. Now listen, you never leave the they camp because the they camp back there in, 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 in 2 Thessalonians is steeped and rich and full of pride and self-centeredness, which would never, leave, would never lead anyone in, 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 in the these camp over in 2 Thessalonians. It would never lead any of those in that camp to say, well, I'm not worthy. But this guy, all dripping with his Roman garb and medals, knows what's true and says, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy of this visitation. And I, I, I love my servant so much, I want to see him healed, but I am not worthy. I'm telling you what, that's what gets you out of the they and into the we. And nothing else does. Nothing else does when you're not... In, in, in love with yourself and admired by the worth of your own achievements and accomplishments and the values of yourself. And you're actually to the place now where the axios has shifted, where the axios has changed. You know, we get our English word access 
from the Greek word axios. And by axios, I mean the axis that the earth is on. The earth is tilted on an axis. 23 degrees. It's why we have the seasons. It's not because um, of the rotation of the earth that we get the four seasons. It's because the earth in its rotation is on an axis. And as, as it's on an axis, it's leaning and leaning further away from the sun in the wintertime, in the fall time, in the wintertime. And now as the seasons change and as the time changes, you'll get to enjoy that part of winter. And then spring bursts, spring bursts forth because on the axis as it rotates, we're now leaning closer. And what the scripture is showing to us is that the we camp of the followers of Jesus Christ are leaning in to the warmth and light and love and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the ones who find themselves not, not willing are not willing because they don't see themselves not worthy. They think they're all fine. You see, so what marvels the Lord is the very fact that this guy that could be so impressed with himself is at that place of saying, soak that in. That's some much needed medicine. And let me contrast that now with the second passage that's found in Matthew 3. Look at Matthew 3. Just turn over there with me. And, and, and another example, in fact, one to which Dennis beautifully just sang it's my favorite song that he sings, that song about, about John. And John's beginning to wonder, and John's beginning to question, and John's beginning to doubt, and John's in prison, he's about to lose his head. And he's like, are you really the one? Go and tell John. Well, John has been faithful to live out this message of preparing the way, of preaching the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 3, Everyone's coming out to hear him. Everyone's coming out to hear him, to witness and to observe. And here's what they're finding. Look at verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and with food. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And, and Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Here's what's happening. They're leaving the verse 9 camp in 2 Thessalonians. They're, they're, they're leaving the these and they're joining the we's. And there's some that are still undecided in the middle. And it's like, oh, that God would. Oh, that God would all come to the reality of making this choice and making this decision. This decision, they're just like jumping in. They're getting baptized. They're confessing their sins. But not all, right? Not all are into it. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. <laughs> that is not your typical greeting, you group of snakes, right? You brood of vipers. He hadn't read how to win and influence people, you know. He was just kind of like just laying it out. Uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It doesn't end all the same way for everyone. Paul's making that point. He's wanting to clearly state that there's a differentiation between the end results of those who still find themselves camped in the verse 9 of that 2 Thessalonians and those that have moved out of the these, although the these is the majority. 
into the we camp, smaller camp, but the we camp that is set free, the we camp is set free. And he's like, there is not the same end result for everyone. So I'm just curious, you herd of snakes, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says this most amazing thing in verse 8. What does he say? He says, uh, you, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That word worthy again, what is it? Axios. And it is probably best described as John calling these guys out and saying to them in that verse, stop with your church games. Stop with your religious games. Because as much as the centurion in his heart for his sick servant wasn't all wrapped up in the garb of his own Roman outfit and, and, and medals and shield and sword and chariots, he's like, I'm not impressed because I really know the state and condition of my own heart. And looking at the state and condition of my own heart, I'm not worthy, Lord. You contrast that now with a bunch of guys who show up in their religious robes in their religious robes down at the Jordan River when people are being baptized, slain in the Spirit, just being wiped out, convicted of their sins, is just going all in with the Lord saying, get me out of the they camp. Get me on the we team as fast as you can, Lord. And these come out judgmental in their beards, in their robes, in their pointy hats. And, and, and John's just sort of like, wow, you are so full of yourselves that you're not even close to being near the point that Jesus marvels about in the heart of the centurion soldiers. He marveled at his faith. He goes, I haven't seen anything like this in all of Israel. Why? Because you got these guys who aren't bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Their worth, their axios, their weight, their value was still all in who they were instead of coming to a point of being emptied of all that garb and emptied of all that junk and emptied of all that nonsense, empty of all that lie. Just saying, Lord, I, I need you to move in and take over in my life. And I'm not worthy of you doing that, but if that's your thing, if what you've done is come into this world to step into my life, to set me free, to forgive me, I am signing up. And that's exactly what it means when you take this bread and this cup this morning. You're saying, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm taking what you have come to provide. By faith, I'm receiving it into myself that it would come alive and now be lived out in all that I live for. And these guys couldn't do that. These guys couldn't say that. And ultimately, here's what's crazy. What's crazy is, is, is you have to be able to see what the end result of that is that they're the ones ultimately that are left out in the dark, that are left out in the cold, even, even though they're wrapped in all of their religious stuff. There's, there's Axios lived out in a, in, a, in, a, in a great way through the example of the centurion and a not so great way because Axios then used by John the Baptist to point out to these guys how far they really are even though they're in the business. So when I sum all that up, one word comes to mind. 
One word comes to mind where verse 9 is, right? Is it verse 9 in 2 Thessalonians? It's just like warning, warning, red light warning in that verse. And then in, in, in the concluding passages there in verse 10, sort of like the results of being on the we team, there is one word that comes to mind when I look at the story of the centurion and his faith to which Jesus marvels at. There's one word that comes to mind when I look now at these religious leaders in all their judgmentalism that just sort of stand an arm's length back, not getting too involved. You know what the word is? Scoreboard, baby. Scoreboard. Because somebody's keeping score where all this is concerned. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say it in 2 Thessalonians. And somebody's keeping score. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say, I'm marveling at, at, at the faith in this, in this Roman soldier. And somebody's keeping score. Otherwise, John wouldn't have called all the religious types who come down for a visit a herd of snakes, a brood of vipers. Scoreboard, baby. Somebody's keeping score. What's happening here is this. God's keeping score. And some of you in the room right now are totally excited and blessed to hear that because that means God took note like He did with the centurion the moment that you also bowed your knee to Him and confessed your unworthiness that you're not going to get there. You're never going to make it out of verse 9, out of the they, the, the, the they. The fact that he marked on his calendar and took note on his scoreboard the day that you accepted and received him as your Lord and Savior. The moment you took what Mitch talked about last week into heart and took it seriously to heart, that was taken note of in heaven. In fact, taken so note of in heaven that the Bible tells us an entire celebration and party, the likes of which you've never seen on earth, exploded in the heavenlies. Someone's keeping score. Those that would confront John and ultimately remove his head from his body, God kept score of that. The centurion that even though he could get so enamored and impressed with himself, felt not worthy of the presence of the Lord. Scoreboard. The thought that Jesus himself was willing to provide this amazing contrast that in all of Israel I have never seen faith lived out and expressed more beautifully than I'm seeing right now in this Roman centurion. In other words, I'm choosing the Roman over the religious. That'll get you killed. That'll get you killed. And yet he felt it was a statement worth dying for. A statement that ultimately now means there's room for us at his table. A statement that would conclude for us a couple of things this morning. Namely, if you're a note taker, jot some thoughts down. I would just love for you to mull over with me going into this new month, going into this new week. Namely, first of all, that our relationship ultimately determines our reward. North County, please hear my heart. Would you hear me well this morning? It isn't all of your accoutrements and it isn't all of your accomplishments. It is your relationship, first and foremost, 
Not being religious. He didn't come to call us to be religious. He called us into a relationship with Himself. How's that going in your life? Because our relationship ultimately determines our reward. The relationship is what's missing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The relationship is what's being celebrated in the very next verse. Verse 10, it's relationship that determines our reward. Secondly, sometimes the ones that we think are winning aren't the ones that are really winning. Because you would kind of think if you were in that crowd down at the Jordan, you were like, oh, here come the big shots. Here come the guys all decked out in their necklaces and their robes and their fancy this and their fancy that. But the ones I'm telling you that that are winning really aren't. Why? Because there's new game rules in place. It's a new scoreboard. It's a new scoreboard. And here's what we need to do. Some of you have, I love you. I, I, I just know from my heart, I'm just trying to help. Some of you have multiple scoreboards. And you're driving yourself crazy trying to achieve and accomplish as much as you can on all manner of different scoreboards. You need to blow up all the scoreboards except the only one that counts. And don't be like confused in Boston and New York. That's the only one I could find. <laughs> don't be... Don't, uh, put your name on that scoreboard. Okay? And any other scoreboard that you're kind of like trying to keep up with the Joneses on ought to be left at the foot of the cross as your act of worship when you take this bread and this cup. This is the only scoreboard that matters. That acceptance acceptance, not achievement. And I know I know who I'm speaking to and this whole culture of this particular community in this neck of the county is all about achievement, but ultimately your acceptance is not based on achievement. Oh, I pray that you would hear me because no one else is going to tell you this. Your acceptance is based on belonging, not on achievement. And we will do our well, ourselves very well and be very wise to see that ultimately that's a game-changing statement that's staring you down on the screen this morning. Our belonging with Christ, our belonging in this family of being on the we team, that determines our acceptance. Not all of our achievements down here. You guys, I think the Lord is less concerned in you playing the game right than He is concerned that you're playing the right game. Are you playing the right game? Are you still wrapped up in the world's game? Because where this game is concerned, where this scoreboard is concerned, we are gonna, we're going to strike out. We're going to fumble the ball. We're going we're gonna to miss the hit. We're going to foul it off. We're going we're gonna to fall short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't think he's so much concerned about that as much as he's concerned that you're in the right game. Not that you're playing it perfectly. Props to King David 
who falls so short, I mean adultery and murder, you name it, right? And yet is a man after God's own heart. He's in the right game, dear friends. And Saul, his rival, is not. And does not in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry, let's clear it up, does not in any way, shape, or form commit the sins that David commits. So what's Saul's deal? What's Saul's problem? He's playing in the wrong game. It's still Saul's game. And David has now surrendered his life. Strikeouts and all to playing in the game that really, truly, ultimately is the only one that matters. Here's a thought. You will experience more freedom from surrender than you will ever experience freedom from control. There's a lot of people in this town that are convinced you otherwise. They're going to say, you've got to hold on, man. you hold on to control. Don't lose control. I'm just here to tell you, in this game, the rules are slightly different. And you will experience the freedom you've been longing to experience when you relinquish control. Guys, are you listening to me? This is why you need to be here on Wednesday nights. This is why you need to get in a men's group. Because you're being sold a bill of goods crammed down your throat that you've got to stay in control. And that smells like Saul who ultimately has the Spirit of God removed from his life and his kingdom stripped from him. Freedom is in surrendering more than it is in holding on. Just trying to help. Let me help you with this. Growth, which we're doing right now, awesome for you to be here. No one's walking out. Um, we're growing right now. Growing right now. Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm growing right now. Say, I'm growing. I'm growing. Now listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about that. Growth and comfort, check this out, not equal. You are not going to find growth and comfort hanging out on the couch together. And you've got to choose what you want to be about. You want to be about verse 9? Then consider ultimately the consequences of that. Verse 10? Verse 10 is the growth of being a part of this we team and celebrating the grace and the mercy and the love which the Lord has for you. But thinking that growth and comfort can just sort of hang out and coexist? I'm sorry. Oil and water. And my other thought to leave you with this morning is simply this, that humility is more attractive even in this town because that's what that centurion had that the Lord Jesus Christ marvels about. Humility is more attractive than accomplishments. And these guys wanted to come down and sort of pridefully strut their religious wares in front of all that John was accomplishing in the life change that was happening through the baptisms. But I'm here to tell you that humility is always, please, please accept and receive this from the heart of God because this is how His game is played. Humility is more attractive to Him than any of our accomplishments. Scoreboard, how are you doing in those things? 
How are you doing in those things? Because this is eminently important as we await His return. And the times, I'm telling you, the times in the midst of that where you do feel like I do, like you struck out, like you fouled it off, like you messed up, the times when you feel down and the times when you feel discouraged, the times when I feel down, the times when I feel discouraged. I had a guy come to church last night. I haven't seen him in years. Brought his two boys. I dedicated his two boys when they were babies. Haven't seen him in years. And he, he just wanted to show up, gave me a hug. And, uh, and he said this to me. He said, are Mondays still rough for you? I quit every Monday. <laughs> I get as down as you get. D.L. Moody got as down as down gets. Spurgeon got as down and depressed as depression gets. And when I get down and when I get discouraged, when you get down, when you get discouraged, when I begin to question, like John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, begins to doubt and question, when I feel unloved, where do I need to turn? Scoreboard is where I need to turn. Scoreboard is where I need to turn to be reminded of this great gift of, 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 of love offered out from the heart of God. It's the only scoreboard that matters. Tear all the other ones down. Otherwise, it, it begins to be a little unnerving. You're like, Bob, I hear what you're saying, but no one in my whole sphere, my whole galaxy is saying we should be humble. Um, Nikki Gumbel is an absolutely amazing servant of the Lord uh, in London right now. He is uh, the founder of the Alpha Project and has an amazing church just right around the corner from Herod's. He says that his hero of the faith was John Stott. John Stott served the Lord at All Souls Church for over 50 years, faithfully. A model of godliness, a model of humility. God used him in a great and powerful way as he's now using Nicky Gumbel. I highly, highly recommend to you anything that these two men of God have written as, as a resource and encouragement to you, even their devotions. Yet when Stott died, Nicky Gumbel is still serving the Lord. John Stott has passed away. And when he did, they were unable to trace a single family member to come to pay respects, or to gather up his personal items. Not a single family member found anywhere in the world. No one came to claim anything, even a distant relation. And yet the London Times, in their obituary of, of John Stott, noted his influence over those five decades of, of serving within the Church of England and said that nothing compared, nothing compared, nothing was greater in influence of all of his contemporaries, and you're talking about some amazing fellas that Stott's being compared to, that those who knew him, I'm quoting the obituary, those who worked with him never expect to see his like again. Rarely can anyone have meant so much to so many as this quietly spoken, modest, and deeply spiritual man. You know what? Not a single family member was there for him, which tells me he did it all for the scoreboard. He did it all for the Lord. And probably one of his most fascinating quotes, his most amazing quotes that John Stott ever gave says this, 
Here is the crucial question. Here's what it comes down to for us this morning. Listen. Have we opened the door and invited Him in? Remember, that's from Revelation 3.20. That's communion this morning. Have we opened the door and invited Him in? This was exactly the question which I needed put to me. Intellectually speaking, I had believed in Jesus all my life. On the other side of the door. I'd regularly said my prayers through the keyhole. I'd pushed pennies under the door. I'd been baptized, gone to church, and read my Bible. I'd held high ideals. I tried to be good and to do good, but all the time, often without realizing I was holding him at arm's length, keeping him outside. Yet I'm profoundly grateful to him. Check this out. Look what he says. I am profoundly grateful to him for enabling me to open the door. He didn't even give himself the credit for opening the door. He's like, I'm not even worthy. That the, the, the time that you invite Christ in, when you receive and accept him as your Lord, you can't take credit for that. Look at the awesome decision I made. God gave you the faith to do that. Otherwise, you saved yourself. He's like this, check it out. I'm profoundly grateful to him for enabling me to open the door. Looking back, I realized that this was the step that changed the entire direction and course and quality of my life. Can you say amen to that this morning? Amen. Otherwise, you're just kind of like, I don't get it. I don't get how this connects. I don't get how you're calling us to live. I don't get what David brings to a sword fight. What does he bring? You know how big that spear was that's standing before him that Goliath's holding? That thing, eight meters long. You know how long? Public students. 26 feet. And the head of the spear, according to 1 Samuel chapter 17, the head of the spear of Goliath weighed 17 pounds. And he's coming out with what? You're like, yeah, it's a little unnerving what he comes out with. Really? Scoreboard. He comes out to face Goliath who is wrapped in armor that is weighing 70 kilos. You know what that is? 156 pounds. I weigh 156 pounds. Goliath's wearing me. David's coming out. Really? Scoreboard. What is he coming out with? Sometimes we forget. Ah, we know. It's a great story, favorite story. Comes out with a sling, picks up the stones. In fact, has to take off all the armor that Saul wants to put him on. He's like, I can't even walk. This doesn't even fit. He takes it off. Read the next verse. And he picked up his staff. His stick and his sling. Sometimes we forget about the stick. You're like, of course we use a stick. Why remember the stick? It wasn't a stick, and he's not carrying the stick just because he's a shepherd. He's got a stick along with a sling because the stick is his scoreboard. And on that stick is the reminder of the bear that God was faithful to deliver him of. And the stick has a notch on it that reminds him 
of the lion that the Lord was faithful to deliver him. He brings his scoreboard to the game. And my dear friends, that's what sits before you this morning. The scoreboard of the Lord that reminds us in whatever state we might find ourselves. Has it been a bad year? Has it been a bad season? Has it been a bad report from the doctor? Scoreboard, baby. Devil, you lose. And Jesus has won this game for the we team for the glory of his name both now and forever. Can you praise him for that this morning, church? I think when we say amen, what amen really means, scoreboard. (laughs) Try it with me. In Jesus' name, scoreboard. Lord, we believe you for the victory that you have come to provide. And as we grab hold of this bread this morning, may we grab hold of it with all we've got to live for and allow it to be your life that is now transferred into us and lived out in all that we live for. May this cup, which represents your blood, wash us clean of all our doubts and all our fears and all our sins and all our shortcomings. Lord, we repent. We are not worthy. We bow before You, Lord. We bow trembling because You tell us that we're not to take communion in an unworthy manner. And yet there's not a single one of us in the room that is worthy. You see, to take communion in an unworthy manner would to be to think you are. But the axios of your value and worth is still all about you. That would be so unworthy in light of the One who gave His life. You see, the moment that we admit we're unworthy, we have now become worthy to receive what you graciously have come to provide. May that be the heart and condition of each and every life that is before you in this service this morning, Lord. And if there might even still be a single holdout verse 9 types of the majority of this world living in the these category, would you by your grace knock on the door of their heart even in this time of worship and communion? May they say yes and amen to your love and to your grace. May you write their name in the book of life and extend unto them the same invitation that you've given to all of us that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised Him from the dead, Team Jesus, scoreboard, baby. I pray, Lord, the things that You have set before us this morning would not go in one ear and out the other. It would become all that we find ourselves being shaped by and living for. In Jesus' name for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Scoreboard.
God bless you as the men come to serve you. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.